You're listening to PetLifeRadio.com. You've had a long day at work, and you can't wait to just get home, take off your shoes, plop yourself down in your favorite chair, and relax. Uh. You walk up to your tranquil residential home and your neatly manicured lawn in your quiet suburban neighborhood, put the key in the lock, open the door, and... Yes, the pets have gone wild! What were you thinking? Welcome to the show about everything you always wanted to know about exotic pets. Where to get them, what to feed them, and how to care for them. You'll even find out why some people live with a monkey. Now, here's your host, exotic pet expert and author, Bob Tart. Hey, Bob, what were you thinking? Hi, welcome to What Were You Thinking? I'm your host, Bob Tart, author of the book's Enslaved by Ducks and Follow Weather. And this is another of those shows that we're doing where we don't have any guests except it's just Linda and me talking. Hi, Linda. Hello. How are you? Good. Are you enjoying what was termed earlier this beautiful day? It is a beautiful day. Yeah, it, it is. The sun's out. Yeah, it's, it, yeah, that's it. We'll talk about that a little bit. But this is the 1st of March. 2008 and uh, probably uh, far and wide across the country people are enjoying beautiful truly beautiful warm weather today but it's a little different in Michigan totally different to- in Michigan, totally different well this week we're going to talk about some things that have been going on in and around our house the past couple of weeks some are pet related and uh, others are wild bird related that's not a wild bird you hear in the background right now. That's clock. our clock. Yeah. But I should mention if you hear some cheeps in the background and uh, some thumps and noises, those are our birds uh, pecking on the perches or uh, squawking or chirping or what, whatever it is that they like to do. So you'll probably be hearing that. One thing I wanted to mention is that we talk about wild birds because we are interested in birds in general. And it interests me a little bit that there are a lot of pet owners who have parrots and other pet birds they're not very interested in wild birds and also a lot of people who are just fanatics about birding don't seem very interested in in pet pet bird Mm -hmm. no I don't know what that is I guess the people with pet uh, the wild birders the people are interested in going out in nature and seeing birds Maybe they don't approve so much of seeing birds in cages. I don't know what it is. not interested in it. Yeah, but I think there should be a lot of crossover because you can really learn a lot about birds by seeing how they act. Observing. Seeing how they act close up. And also, I would encourage people who have cage birds as pets to get outside and and see wild birds because... um, Really fascinating. Yeah, and one country's wild birds are another country's pet birds. Mm -hmm. Um, I saw... A notice a while ago on a news group where somebody in Europe was complaining that uh, he was having a little trouble in obtaining some of the pet birds he wanted, like a rose-breasted grosbeak. Now, of course, in America, it's illegal to have a rose-breasted grosbeak, but it's possible that in Europe, that there's a captive population somewhere that people breed and have as pets. I've never heard of that. Yep, yep. So anyway, there's a few things we're going to cover this week. I want to start out by mentioning again our great good fortune that my book Fall Weather was briefly the number one pet book on Amazon.com and uh, 
why don't you tell how that happened? What what happened one morning on, uh, it was January 22nd? We were sitting on the edge of the bed, drinking a cup of coffee, like we always do first thing in the morning. And you had heard, you thought that she might be doing yep. the review. He had heard that. So he turned on NPR. Sure enough, there was this lady talking, reviewing books, talking about books. And she mentioned his book, Foul Weather said how much she liked it and and just and it was just a wonderful thing to hear her telling saying the name of Howard our dove saying the name of uh, Birdie wasn't it she talked mm-hmm. about our rabbit that mm-hmm. we had at one time and she just loved the book you could tell she just loved the book and it led to people buying that book it was a wonderful thing right that that was uh, librarian Nancy Pearl who's out in uh, Seattle I believe it is and it was a feature called Books Under the Radar that she does. Famous reviewer. Mm-hmm. So that was that was great. So for at least a few minutes, Fall Weather was the number one pet book on Amazon.com. And it hasn't quite faded back into total obscurity yet. But for four uh, weeks, more than four weeks straight. Sold pretty darn well. So it, The ratings went up for four weeks straight. I mean, considerably up. So thanks to everyone who bought a copy of Fall Weather. Thank and you to, so much for that. Uh, Fall Weather is, you know, uh, continuing the story of enslaved by ducks of our pet birds and rabbits and other animals. And to anyone who hasn't bought Fall Weather or enslaved by ducks yet, um, I encourage you to do so. We want to thank Nancy Pearl so much for that wonderful review. We do. Um, also something I want to mention briefly, this will be of interest mostly to people who live in Michigan, though there are a, a few other places, but... Uh, I'm doing a few appearances in spring and, well, I guess these are all, yeah, in spring and any of these in summer? No, not quite. So Saturday, March 22nd, I will be at the University of Tampa at a writer's workshop and I will be talking, of all things, on podcasting. So, of course, they couldn't invite me there to talk about something that I actually have some knowledge of. Maybe writing, but I'm going to talk about podcasting. So I don't know how that'll go or what I'll have to tell anybody. It'll be fun because you'll get to do some bird watching. Yeah, that's right. Um, In Michigan, April 19th, I'll be in East Tawas. That's in the eastern part of the state. 7 p.m. at the East Tawas Library, April 19th. May 7th, I will be at the Hamburg Township Library near Ann Arbor. So it's Hamburg Township, and contrary to popular belief, Hamburg Township is nowhere near Frankfurt, Michigan. (laughs) Nope, uh, Frankfurt is uh, up near Traverse City. Okay, moving out of the state, Tuesday, May 13th, I will be at noon at the Citizens Library in Washington, Pennsylvania. Not Washington, D.C. And Washington, Pennsylvania is, I think, 20, 30 miles south of Pittsburgh. And then the last date I want to mention is Tuesday, June 3rd. I will be at the Howard Miller Library in Zeeland. And that's not in the Netherlands. That's Zeeland, Michigan, and that will be 6.30 to 7.30 p.m. So people in Michigan and in Pennsylvania and in Florida will have an opportunity to either see me or avoid me as as they wish. You're going to be busy this spring. I am. Um, I also wanted to mention, I wanted to thank uh, April Rousseau, who was a guest of ours a few weeks ago, and also members of her Yahoo news group, Pet Ducks Are Us. I got this wonderful email card inviting me to be a member of the Yahoo group. And I have to say that I looked into it, and it really looks like the place to go for sharing story and information on pet ducks. Um, In fact, 
There's so much information, it's said on the description on Yahoo that you can get up to 50 emails a day wow. on, on pet ducks. And uh, I have to confess that that's, that's the reason I haven't signed up. It's just that uh, I'm so busy and I just don't have time to read time 50 emails a day. Yeah. Of course, you can boil it down and just get one email a, a day with 50 postings, but I don't even think I have time for that. Mm -hmm. but, um, but a lot of people might like that. I, it's wonderful. So that, you got pet ducks. That proves that this is the place. So it's the Pet Ducks Are Us Yahoo News Group. So thanks to April and her friends for the invitation. Um, we have some other folks that we want to have on as guests in the weeks ahead. Uh, there was a gentleman from Texas who emailed me about his African great parrot named Gospel, and uh, he had some good stories about Gospel, so uh, like to get him on. we would like to get him on. And uh, he also told me that uh, he did not like the show I did a few weeks ago with book character Bill Holm, that he thought it was a little too silly. So, <laughs> But we're still having him on. <laughs> there you go. Criticize the show and you can still be on. That's no problem at all. <laughs> also, uh, we're probably going to do another show on pigeon rehab. There's a gentleman from New York City and also another from California who have emailed me, so we want to get them on. And speaking of people named April, we have a friend named April Anderson, and I'm hoping to uh, drag her onto the show. She has just done some uh, amazing work. She worked in Hawaii with endangered birds. Alaska. Up in Alaska and most recently she worked for a large aquarium and she will have some good stories. Mm-hmm. So um, getting back to the weather um, in Michigan as I uh, might have mentioned uh, I was at the Blue Ribbon Feed Mill today and when I was leaving Barbara said enjoy this beautiful day and only in Michigan would people tell you to enjoy a beautiful day when I think it was five minutes of sunshine yeah it was 25 degrees this morning we have how many inches of snow on the ground would you say eight, eight inches or something so? like that yeah yeah something like that and um 38 out of 40 days, the weatherman said recently, snow. So 38 out of the 40 days of a recent time, he said that, snow. Yeah, winter has Every day. Winter has been relentless. Usually, uh, we're watching... snow, sleet, you name it, every day. We were watching the weather last night, and they're saying that usually in Michigan, you get a uh, snowfall through the, month of, through the month of February of 11 inches. That, that's about it, because I guess generally most of the snow falls in December and January. So 11 inches is the average for February. We have had, I think, about 41. 40. 40 inches this February. 40. Mm -hmm. 40 inches. And I would say there's no end in sight. No. The no. weatherman. Halfway through March, it's going to still be winter yeah, like this. Yeah, it is. And just a few years ago. better leave it, as they say. A few years ago, I recall, I think it was April 8th when we had a terrific ice storm and we had to get the generator started because we lost power for three days. Is that April? Yeah, yeah. I got up in the, had to get up in the middle of the night to uh, fill the generator with gas and the thermometer read eight degrees. So that's what you can look forward to in Michigan in the first week of April even. So uh, wonderful state to live in. The weather has been really weird this year because we've had warm-ups and cool downs oh, and that might be one reason we've had so much snow is because these fronts come through and a couple Sundays ago it was so warm that it was raining all morning in the wee hours of the morning and you would think that this would be a respite from suffering but it was not because it had some really bad effects on our pets and that was because uh, well, 
tell what happened first thing in the morning. You went out to the barn and everything looked fine, didn't it? I, it was uh, not even hardly light. I went out, it wasn't enough eggs for breakfast, so I went out there searching for an egg. But I really was half asleep. I, I don't remember noticing anything about the pen or anything. I just went out there to get an egg. I came back. He went out later to do the chores, the morning chores. He came back in and he said, did you see that pen, the outside pen that's attached to the barn? I said, no, I don't remember anything. He said, it's ruined. It's absolutely ruined. I said, what do you mean? He says, it's all caved in, including the door part, the, the supports, the aviary nettings on top. It's all, there's a big chunks of ice that came down and it's ruined. I said, you're kidding. Yeah, we have two large adjoining pens attached to the back of our barn and that's so that we can open the doors of the barn in the morning and our pet ducks and hens can walk outside and we have one or two swimming pools, wading pools, depending on the weather. And we also have sort of a little back pen that we can open and close. Add it on. Yeah, add it on. We try and close it until there's some vegetation growing and then we open it up and we can sit and practically while we're watching, watch the hens strip every single piece mm -hmm. of vegetation. Every blade from of grass. The Anyway, the problem with putting a pen directly attached to the barn, if you live in Michigan, is that you get an accumulation of ice and snow on the roof, and at some point it has to fall down, and it usually falls. On a warm day, when there's hunks of ice up on that thing, it comes sliding off all at one time. 50-pound pieces come and land on the top of the netting and cave it in. Now, usually it just tears the netting, and that's the worst that happens, but this year... I don't know if the netting was uh, attached really well or what happened, but it actually pulled down a 4x4 four four post. The bracework. And we have, you know, a pretty substantial wooden door that our handyman Gary built, and it cracked that right in oh, half. Yeah. And, and it, it was just up. a mess. In fact, Gary came over the next day to look at the damage. He said and, he about cried yeah, when he looked at yeah, it. Yeah, about, about burst into tears when Ooh. he saw that. This year, I'm not going to name the product, but we had tried something on the roof of the barn that's supposed to stop this, what it's supposed to do is it's supposed to hold the ice and snow in place. And let it melt gradually. Just let it Which melt. Which under normal circumstances, I do believe that would work. And it has worked just up until this point. At least we think so. We hope. But uh, Gary said, well, this was really an extraordinary event. And I guess it was that the temperature had suddenly, in the middle of February, when it's usually absolutely freezing, the temperature had suddenly jumped to about 40 overnight. And that metal roof of the heat, the rain, it slid it off all of a sudden. Mm -hmm. So it absolutely ruined the pen. But Gary is a genius at fixing things. And he came by on Monday and he was able to drag these metal grates. I don't know what the metal grates were used for. There's the people who used to own our property here. had them, massive yeah. metal grates. And he was able to rebuild the whole side of the pen with those. And Just pop everything back off. So the poor, uh, uh, maybe it was Tuesday he did it. But at any rate, our uh, ducks and hens had to sit inside the barn for a couple days. Two, three days. I don't think they suffered too much because we have that heater in there. And it was pretty warm and they had straw and... It didn't seem to bother them too much, although when we did finally open the door... They were I, really happy to get out. Yeah, yeah, they were happy to get out, so so that wasn't too bad at all. Well, surprisingly, we are uh, at a breaking point, uh, and so we're going to get back and tell you about something else that happened that Sunday in the rain. And you are listening to What Were You Thinking on Pet Life Radio. I'm your host, Bob Tart, and we'll take a break. We'll be right back. 
What Were You Thinking? We'll be right back after Bob gets the ducks out of his living room. Don't go away. Here's the story of a lovely lady who is bringing up three very lovely gulls. Join us every week on Wings and Things with your host, Susan Chamberlain, and get a bird's eye view of everything there is to know about pet birds and how to make your frequent flyer a happy camper. Wings and Things. That's the way we became the Birdie Bunch. Only on PetLifeRadio.com. Pets are part of the family, and when traveling with your dog, there's only one magazine to include when packing your doggy's duffel bag, and that's Fido Friendly, the travel and lifestyle magazine for you and your dog. Each bi-monthly issue includes hotel, city and state reviews, and doggy destinations to explore with your furry companion. Fido Friendly magazine can be found at Borders, Barnes & Noble, PetSmart, Pet Boutiques, and Fido Friendly hotels nationwide. Or you can go online to subscribe at www.fidofriendly.com. So get traveling with your pet today and leave no dog behind. And remember, Fido Friendly's the only magazine dedicated to the travel lifestyle of man's best friend and the one magazine your dog will thank you for. Welcome to Pet Planet. Here's a copy of Pet Planet Magazine, Florida's most informative and fun pet resource magazine. It features heartwarming stories and informative articles from local and national pet experts. Excellent. Pet Planet Magazine offers Operation Planet Rescue, helping rescued pets find new homes. And it's available at 500 locations in South and Central Florida and 24-7 on the Internet at PetPlanetMagazine.com. If you're out and about with your pet, you may be featured in Paparazzi, Candid Pictures of You and Your Pet. For up-to-date pet-friendly events, activities, and pet-related services and products, Pet Planet Magazine is your final destination. I shall take this magazine home with me. Back to your home planet? No, to my condo in Boca. Pet Planet Magazine. Check them out at www.petplanetmagazine.com or 352-394-8578. It's out of this world. Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com. Okay, ducks are in the pond, rabbits in his hutch, and monkeys... Ow! In my car! Oh, okay, well, I go check my insurance policy. We'll turn you back over to Bob. Welcome back to What Were You Thinking? I'm Bob Tart, author of Enslaved by Ducks and Fall Weather. And here's my wife, Linda. Hello. One of the main characters in Enslaved by Ducks and Fall Weather, if I can call you a character. Mm-hmm. I claim to fame. It's her claim to fame. Uh, something else happened last Sunday, or two Sundays ago, excuse me, in the rain. And that was that we had a birder named Caleb Putnam come to visit our house. And... He uh, is a pretty well-known local birder. He works for um, Audubon, and he is the author or the co-author of a book called Birds of Montana for when uh, Caleb lived in Montana. And um, 
That's uh, published by Lone Pine Books, and there's a whole series of Birds of Michigan, which I have, which is a very good book, and I've seen Birds of Ohio. I don't know if they have them for every state, but anyway, Caleb is a real expert and was author of Birds of Montana, and he came over on Sunday because of a warbler that we have in our yard. Back in November, well, I should back up a little, and Linda and I like to look for migrating warblers in our woods each spring and fall. And this fall we saw we saw quite a few yellow rump warblers, yeah, didn't we? Yeah, for two falls now we've seen a lot of yellow rump warblers in the neighbor's woods. They yep. go back there and eat poison ivy berries. Believe it or not, uh, one thing that warblers love to eat, at least these yellow rump warblers, is poison ivy berries. We didn't know that's what they were, but they're high up in the trees, the vines to the poison ivy, climbs up the tree, goes down the branches, and gets these clustery yellow berries that you would swear just looks like a fruit or a seed or something, it's poison ivy. So don't touch them, folks. No, don't touch Linda was going to grab some to see to. what they were. Yeah, I was going to. That, that would have been bad news. But yeah, somebody on the Internet told us that's what they are. And these yellow warblers and other birds love eating them. And they would come, uh, well, those yellow warblers stayed for weeks, didn't they? Mm -hmm. you know? we usually, they usually start disappearing in October. But mm -hmm. this year I was surprised on November 30th to look out the window and see two yellow warblers on the ground in the snow pecking away at seed that had fallen from our sunflower seed This is in our yard you're talking about, right? right? in our yard, yeah. right outside the window. So I thought this was unusual, so I took a photo of the yellow rump warbler, and I mentioned on the birding mailing list, it's the southeastern Michigan mailing list, we're in west Michigan, and I mentioned we had a yellow rump warbler, and there wasn't too much interest in that because I guess it is common enough for a few yellow rump warblers, especially if you live on a river like we do, for them to stay the winter. What we, do they eat? Just dry fruit? Berries, the berries poison ivy the berries, and, that, and we had some uh, grapes, wild grapes, yeah. so they could eat those. So no one thought anything of it, and of course I didn't, but uh, one day in February, the yellow rump warbler was on this plastic chair outside eating some pieces of suet that had dropped. And I just thought it was kind of funny to see a warbler sitting on a chair. And for some reason that struck me as whimsical and I posted the photo to the mailing list. No one said anything about it until I got an email from Kayla Putnam and he said, do you have any photographs of that bird? Do you have any more photos? So I sent them to him and he was really excited about it because it turns out there are two populations of yellow rump warblers. There is the eastern population, which is known as the myrtle warbler, or the myrtle variety. It's a subspecies. And then the western population, known as the Audubon. In years past, these were considered two separate species, but not any longer. They're just considered different uh, subspecies. Caleb thought that our bird looked like an Audubon warbler, and if so, this would only be the third record ever of an Audubon myrtle, excuse me, an Audubon yellow rump warbler recorded in Michigan. Wow. So he was very excited to come and see it. Where would they normally be? Out west, right? Right. I, I guess you can safely say west of the Rockies, although when Caleb told me when he lived in Montana, that there was a mixed population there of Myrtle and Audubon. And so that was one way that he got very good at telling them apart because there are subtle differences. One difference that's not so subtle is that the um, Audubon, both of the uh, Audubon and Myrtle have a 
patch under their throat, a bib. But in the western variety, it has yellow in that patch. In the eastern variety, it's pure white, but in the western variety, it's yellow, and that was what he noticed. So he came over to try and get a look at this bird and to see what it was. Unfortunately, we hadn't seen the bird at our feeder for 10 days, right. and he was afraid it might be dead. So this was a terrible rainy day, oh. and Caleb went out into the woods, and he had bird calls and he had a um, call note of the eastern warbler and the western warbler. So he played, first of all, he played chickadee calls because the yellow rump warbler likes to hang out with chickadees. And he tried this in various parts of the woods and finally he heard the call note of the warbler and it sounded to him like an Autobahn. So he played the call note of the Myrtle Warbler, and the bird came a little closer, but he said when he finally played the call note of the Autobahn, it just zoomed right yeah, down. Yeah, it came quite close. Now, what's the difference between the call note of the Western and Eastern? The Eastern has, a, I would say, a harsher call note, and the Western is a little softer, a little more slurred, I would say. Mm. I can't swear that I could tell the difference because I, I heard the call note several times, and I never thought it was anything. Caleb can tell the difference. Caleb can tell. We would like to have him on the show sometime, but he's so darn busy. Yeah. He's probably out looking at some bird right, right now. Right now, I'm sure he mm -hmm. is. But what was ironic was poor Caleb was out in the snow. Oh, it's an hour, hour and 20 minutes. Yeah, in the snow. You know, there was probably seven, eight inches of snow on the ground, Not and it was nice raining day. like Terrible crazy. Yeah, didn't and, bother him. Nope, and he finally got the bird call down and, and was able to see it out in the woods. He came inside and had lunch with us. Yeah, triumphantly said he saw it. Oh, yeah, he showed us photos that he took of it. Yeah. And he got in his car and was just driving away when I looked out the dining room window, and there was that darn bird right <laughs> at the feeder again. <laughs> so it's possible that while we were eating lunch, if he would have just turned around yeah, in his chair. Right there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, before this adventure with the Audubon Warbler, we saw another bird, and it was, uh, Linda told me about this bird, so why don't you tell the story about the owl? Well, one morning, I think it was around 11 o'clock in the morning, I got a phone call from some people uptown who are avid birders, and their last name is Drake, and he said that there was a long-eared owl in the line of trees near the cemetery is across the street and down a little bit from where they live and that there was a long-eared owl in those trees and did we want to see it well Bob wasn't home from work yet but I of course wanted to see it and I said I'll be right up there well I didn't really know if it would still be there because birds are so flighty and I thought it might be gone by then and I had always wanted to meet the drakes so I was excited just the thought of being able to meet the drakes so I went up there and there they were standing in the street uh, evidently right near where the tree was and it was fir trees and they were all in a row right beside the cemetery. I got out of my car, walked over, started talking to them. They pointed up into the tree, got my binoculars out and there it was, bigger than life, this gorgeous long-eared owl and I had never seen one and he said he'd never seen one and they had been birders most of their life and or many, many years and they, he'd never seen one. So here he was and he had said how they found it. They were taking a walk and there was a small flock of tiny birds trying to chase this thing off. The tiny birds don't like owls and in their territory, so they were trying to chase it off. And he was sleepy or something, and he just sat there in that tree. And I believe he sat there most of the day. And I saw it, and I kept calling Bob on the cell phone because I knew he was coming home soon, and he finally sped over there after he got home. He saw it. 
Then before that time, I went down the street to another, our, our handyman lives down the street there, and Gary, Gary and, and he came up to see it. He called his wife. She came over to see it. Some neighbors drove by. They got, they got out of their cars. They looked at it. And when Bob uh, had seen it and came back home, he remembered a, a birder from up in Ionia that would love to see it. A he, minister. A minister. And the minister said, that he asked the Lord that day to see a special bird. So that may have been the, re been the reason the whole thing happened. He called, and Bob just on a whim, he had never called this guy before. He called him, he was very excited, he came up, and Bob drove up there to make sure he was in the right place, and it's a good thing he did because he was way across the cemetery in a place where he never would have seen it. Bob showed that bird to him, and it was just a wonderful thing. It was He said this was his, uh, what did he call it? His, his nemesis his bird. His nemesis bird, a bird that he could never see, that he'd always trying to see, and it would go away just before. So this was an answer to a prayer for him to see this bird on that day. And, uh, of course, we were all thrilled to see this bird. It was just it sat there most of the day. Yeah, long-eared owls. We have are, wonderful pictures of it. Yeah, we'll, we'll have a picture on the um Pet Life Radio they're website. They're very rare. They're a rare bird. They are. They're they're very uncommon. Although uh, I was asking Caleb about it, and it's not so much that they're incredibly rare; it's that they are uncommon, but they hide well. So they're supposed to be uh, fairly widespread in Michigan in the winter. But what they do is they stand stock still, straight up, right next to a tree trunk on a um, evergreen tree, a cedar or a pine. And they look just like the trunk from most angles. Even when Linda and Gary were pointing to the bird to show it to me, you could I hardly say, see where it. is it? I can't see it. They, they like say, to there, go there. Grow groves of trees that are thickish, and you can't see them in there very well, next to a field that might have voles, I think is what he said. And then at night they fly down and eat the voles. Mm -hmm. So getting back to the Autobahn Warbler, Caleb and uh, a couple other birders told me that they were going to come by uh, the next Sunday. But what was funny was on Saturday, there was a knock at the door, and apparently the word had gotten out that we had a possible Autobahn warbler on our property. There were a couple birders that had driven over, and they said, well, hi, we're here to see the Autobahn warbler. <laughs> like it was some like bird. Like we had it in the back room or something. Yeah, yeah, I told it. And then uh, later in the day, Two other people came by and knocked on the door. Hi, can can we see the Autobahn Warbler? <laughs> I don't I don't know. They thought we could just produce. We hadn't it. seen it for like five days. Yeah, I told Linda. I told Linda the next time someone comes like that, I'll say, "Well, just a minute, then I'll come back and I'll say, I'm sorry, but he's the, busy now. Yeah, he's busy. He told me he's not seeing anyone today. Can you come back tomorrow?" Uh, Caleb came back the next day with. Uh, uh, Michigan birder named Adam Byrne, and Adam, it turns out, has seen more species of birds in Michigan than anybody. It's uh, it's 350 or 70. It's some amazing, yeah. amazing number. And then another birder named Curtis, they started out by going out into the woods, and they glimpsed the bird, and then just just for fun, they came back to our feeder area, not expecting to see it because I hadn't seen the bird in a long time. I went out and joined Caleb and, and Curtis and Adam. And after about 20 minutes, the bird showed up and they got some gorgeous photos. Now, you might wonder why, why all this fuss. If they saw the bird, they should know what it is. But Caleb has been concerned that it is not a pure Autobahn, that it's what you would call an intergrade, meaning that it's a... Mixture. A mixture. You, you can't really call it a hybrid because I guess a hybrid refers to different species mating, and these aren't different species. These are different subspecies. So uh, Caleb thinks that if it's not an absolutely pure Autobahn, 
it's at least a 95% Autobahn. Mm -hmm. And he was saying one, one way you can tell the difference besides the yellow patch is that the, um, that bib is um, on, on the Myrtle Warbler, it comes up further around the neck whereas it's it's smaller and more sharply defined I guess you would say on the Autobahn and also the Autobahn's face is is pretty clear of other markings it has a split eye ring you know a little white crescent above and below the eye and then that's it and this bird he's seeing here has a little little trace of a dark streak behind the eye and the little little trace of a white mark behind the eye but I, I was looking through some books that show pictures of pure Autobahn warblers. They Street too. Some of those have that too. So Caleb seems to be of the opinion, right now he's holding the opinion that it is a pure Autobahn, but... Um, We're hoping. Yeah. He made uh, a sound recording while he was here, and he did something called a sonogram, which is um, a, a way that you turn it into a graphic, and to him it looked like the um, Autobahn um, call note. When, when you printed it out. So, be so, neat. so what they're going to do is they're going to wait and hopefully the bird will start changing into its breeding plumage soon if it survives. I, I should mention, and I probably did, there were two, two of these warblers at first, but I only saw two of them once and I don't know if they were both the Audubon because I wasn't paying attention. So we're hoping that this bird does survive. He's done pretty well so far through miserable weather. Yeah. I think we could safely say this bird is coping with the miserable Michigan weather better than we better are. Better than we are. Yeah, absolutely. So that's the story. And um, Also, that owl was sighted again. There was a terrible storm the day after we saw that. That was on a Tuesday. On the Wednesday of that week, there was this awful, awful storm. And we thought the bird, the owl, had left the neighborhood, but it was seen. It was heard several days later by somebody in the neighborhood, um, and so that shows that it did stay around, and it's probably, possibly, still in the woods near there in that neighborhood. Yep, we just don't know. Well, surprisingly, that brings us to the end of this broadcast of what were you thinking, which has mostly been about wild birds, which is always a worthy subject as far as I'm concerned. That's right. So if you would like to be a guest on what were you thinking to talk about an exotic pet, which is anything except a dog or a cat, all you have to do is email me at bob at petliferadio.com. And we also want to know what you think of our show. So email us and uh, tell us if you don't want to hear any more skits with book character Bill Holm. Or tell us if you want to hear more about uh, parrots or... Yeah, we'd like to know what you'd hear, like to hear about. Absolutely, and please share your story. Even if you don't want to be on the show, share your stories about your pets. Oh, we would just love that. Mm -hmm. So, Bob at PetLifeRadio.com. So, that's it for this week. We want to hear from you. Thanks for listening, and thanks to our very mysterious producers who are under the sea in a bathosphere this week producing the show. <laughs> so, bye-bye. Thanks so much for listening. Bye. Thinking about buying a monkey? How about a ferret or a skunk? Then check out the show that will answer the burning questions, where do you get them? What do you feed them? How do you take care of them? And most of all, what were you thinking? With exotic pet expert and author Bob Tart, every week on demand from PetLifeRadio.com. <laughs>